All right, how you doing? My name's Matt Barr and you're listening to episode six of the Looking Sideways podcast. This is the podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. So thanks as ever for listening to and or downloading the show. I appreciate that. So I'm a few weeks in and uh, the feedback for the show has been generally extremely positive, which has been great. So thank you to everybody who's taken the time to leave me a message, get in touch, share it on Facebook or uh, leave me a review on iTunes. That's been super helpful and encouraging. And to everybody who's got into it this early, it's been um, really encouraging, like I say, that you've all given me such good feedback. And to, to keep making more of these, I just need to get more people listening. So if you're enjoying the show, as I've been kind of harping on about up to now, you can help me get more listeners by subscribing on iTunes and leaving me a review, sharing on social media and all the rest of it. It all helps and hopefully it will mean that I can keep making more of these shows. Another nice thing that's been happening is people getting in touch and suggesting new guests and questions for guests. And I'm all ears, to be honest. Obviously, I've got my own big list of people that I want to speak to, and it's absolutely massive now. But I'm really aware that, you know, there are stories out there that I just won't know about. So the best way of of keeping me up to date with these is to head over to my Facebook page, which you can find through the website www.wearelookingsideways.com and leave me some suggestions there. I'm going to start a thread where people can chip in with ideas for guests and questions. But just to whet your appetite a little bit, forthcoming interviewees include freeriding legend Tom Burt on his three-decade career pioneering freeriding around the world and particularly in Alaska, which was brilliant for a snowboard geek like me. Then I've got Finisterre founder Tom Kay on how he built one of the world's most beloved surf brands. I'm catching up with DJ Barbecue, aka Christian Stevenson, a man with one of the lengthiest and most varied CVs in action sports. And I'm also going to speak to surfer and environmentalist Eski Britain. But as I say, any ideas you've got, head over to the Facebook page and let me know about them. On to this week's episode. So I went to Switzerland for the week, which was nice. I had to go to Lax for the British Ski and Snowboarding Championships to do a bit of work. But along the way, I stopped into Verbier to stay with some friends of mine and watch the final of the Verbier Extreme, which was uh, quite a spectacle in person. Really impressed by that. And I also caught up with today's interviewee, none other than big mountain freerider and all-round snowboarding legend Xavier Delarue, who was kind enough to invite me around to his house for a cup of tea and a chat. So where do you start with Xavier? Universally, I would say he's considered to be one of our greatest freeriders. There's no doubt about that. But he began his career racing border cross back in the day. He picked up four world titles when he was doing that. Then he switched his attention to freeriding, going on to win three freeride world tour titles and becoming synonymous with the Beck de Ross and the Verbier Extreme, which he's won countless times. After that, he switched paths again by embarking upon some of the greatest and most ambitious snowboarding expeditions ever filmed, hitting up Antarctica and Svalbard. And along the way, he found the time to create era-defining film parts, produce countless films and win endless plaudits from the snowboarding and wider adventure media. The thing about Xavier, though, as you're going to hear while you listen to our conversation, is there's a lot more to him than one of the most uh, impressive CVs in the history of snowboarding. Here's a very intelligent, very focused and very insightful individual. And the thing that came across to me as we were talking, and I think as you'll hear, is that Xavier above all, has been constantly driven by evolution and, and the need to progress. Whether that's through his snowboarding, 
or through the various projects he undertakes or his entrepreneurial involvement with at least, I think, five different companies. Now, as he explains, Xavier's next evolution is about where he takes his snowboarding as he approaches 40. This was yet another hugely enjoyable conversation with a fascinating snowboarding character. It was a really revealing chat with one of modern snowboarding's true greats and I felt really privileged to be honest that he opened up to me as much as he did. So uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here's Xavier on the endless quest for innovation. Enjoy. Xavier Delarue, thank you for joining me on the Looking Sideways podcast. Very happy to be here. Yeah, great. Um, so you have been working on the Freeride World Tour the last few days, right, in, in Verbier. So what have you been doing there? Yeah, it's been kind of a change because I've been competing here for the last 15 years uh, on that uh, Verbier Extreme. It's basically been the only comp that I've done in the last uh, five years. So I used to be lucky enough to come back and yeah, have the possibility to, you know, just get to see everyone and yeah, see where it was and, and things. And and this year I was basically commentating and watching the whole show and actually really enjoying being on the other side of it. So were you doing that for Red Bull, was that right? Or was it for the whole event? Yeah, I was doing that, well, yeah, for the whole event, but was produced by Red Bull. Okay, Yeah. so how did you find it? Is that the first time you've ever done that kind of thing? So it was the first time, yes, I did that. But um, yeah, doing it with Edley was very, very easy because he's super professional, very enthusiastic, very good, very knowledgeable. And yeah, we know each other a bit, so we've yeah. been on trips together, so I think we cannot speak the same language. So it yeah. was really nice to do that with him. So is that the kind, would you like to do more of that kind of thing? Well, I think it depends, but uh, I think it makes sense here because I have a lot to say on the venue and, and, and you know, how to share my experience and things. And also, yeah, once again, doing it with Ed makes it easier, but I'm not going to go and start commentating uh, ping pong or stuff like yeah, that. That's yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you, do you miss riding the competition? Uh, I, I really don't miss it because my head has shifted a lot in the last uh, in the last few years. And I think this year has been a, yeah, quite a big shift as well. You know, I'm slowly accepting the fact that I'm getting older and that I don't need to push things really hard anymore. And I'm, yeah, very, very happy actually. Yeah. You know, it was always, yeah, something that would kind of feel difficult to accept in some ways. But, um, yeah, I think on the... Yeah, Verbi is very good. Um, it's always been a good point uh, at the season where it would kind of make you feel where you're at, like in your head, like with what you want to do and prove and things. And and I know that I've really struggled doing the comp um, in the last few years because I kind of felt that I had to do it. I kind of wanted to do it. Um, and at the same time, I think I kind of put some standards on expectations on people that were like kind of really difficult to hold and 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 uh yeah it put me in a really weird headspace you know to be up there and i knew that people were expecting me to send something huge otherwise they would be disappointed and i'd be disappointed and and actually yeah now i kind of feel that this is gone like i am yeah, I'm a, I, I am claiming that I don't want to do that all the time anymore. And yeah. is that, was that a difficult thing to realize? 
Yeah, I think that it's kind of uh, something difficult, and and I think that this is really the tough thing, the tough thing of our sport. Like quite often, I you know I'm looking, for example, at Kelly Slater, or guys like this, you know, that with their experience and and yeah, they can still do amazing things, and they can kick ass, and yeah, they can be really really strong and dedicated and things, and I have that in me, and I you know like. I see lines and I know I can still yeah, destroy lines and things, but it's just the fact that you know that if you keep doing it at the level where you're like really make the sport progress, you're going to hit the wall at some point. And, yeah. And it's not just, uh, you're not just going to sprain your ankle. And um, yeah, I really believe in a kind of statistical aspect of the sport where you can play for so long in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did your experience with the Avalanche have much to do with that? Well, the Avalanche was definitely the biggest uh, kind of close call in a way. Yeah. A uh, reminder, of, yeah, that yeah, you're a human being and yeah, do you want to die snowboarding or not? And uh, I know that I changed a lot after that, but but still like all the biggest years, all the biggest years where I've been pushing the sports the most yeah. have been after that Avalanche. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think to me this avalanche was the best lesson I could ever get because, you know, it like yeah put me in front of the reality of what can happen, and then yeah like my first reaction after that was clearly okay, stop doing this. This is crazy. You're just pushing it way too much, and yeah, you don't need to do that. And actually, by <laughs> saying that to myself, it really reminded me how much I loved it because you know the moment you start to think that you're gonna lose that thing that you're doing which is tough but you know you you suddenly realize that you actually really love it and I was like okay what can I do to make it you know be, be good like feel that I you know progress and still pushing my level and things because that's what has driven me always um, you know, for being able to do that, what could I do to, you know, feel comfortable at the end of the season and feel, okay, you've been, um, yeah, yeah, you've been reasonable with your risk. In, yeah, in yeah, okay, I understand. So, so I think I've been very, very strict after that uh, with myself and like always when I had any doubt to be like, no, I'm not going and and like also I kind of forced myself to always be a bit, a bit paranoid in the mountains so to always like, you know, oversee danger in a way and uh, and only go if it felt you know if i could overcome that da that danger yeah and, well yeah. you must be at an interesting point then because if i look at your career there's really distinct phases almost as the the competitive years the years where you film video parts and the years where you've been on big explorations big expeditions and now if you're almost, it sounds like at another stage, it must be quite exciting in a way because you, you can now decide what's next. Do you have any idea what might be the next thing that you'll focus on? Yeah, I think now I really feel uh, that I want to share my experience, like share what I've learned, uh, like in terms of, you know, practical details, but as well in terms of uh, the values that, uh, that I've learned through what I've done. And I've got a few different projects where, which will involve, in a way, um, like kind of 
all, all of my old footage and adventure and like kind of come back on it because I really want to do uh, a work on myself to actually also even for myself see what I've learned from everything I've done and things and also to to share them like in a, in a positive way and and then as well I would like to share a bit of my knowledge on how to access the mountain in a practical way for people to be like yeah kind of uh, educa educational yeah, uh, yeah yeah so do you have any idea what that might look like I do but I will keep it for myself yeah now. too early too <laughs> yeah. early yeah, yeah, but yeah. I guess it's a good point to talk about uh, is it Rosero is that how you say yeah. it because um, it seemed when I saw about that project that that was definitely about your experience and mm -hmm. what you'd learned in the mountains mm -hmm. and and sharing that in a in a positive way yeah well to come back on the whole topic I've always felt since uh, the beginning of my career and even I think in my life that I always needed uh, new challenges I'm not the kind of guy that will work for years on his trick on his technique on his whatever I really feel I need to feel evolution all the time, either in level or in experience or in the fact uh, that I'm learning something or seeing it in a different way or presenting it in a different way. So I think this is why I've gone through so many stages because I just get bored. And so and so many different projects, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, from yeah. producing films to... Mm to entrepreneurial like new mm. businesses you've been in, involved in a lot of different businesses so that's kind of where that comes from new, yeah new projects learning new experiences yeah yeah i've always loved uh creating stuff and and i think like uh i'm really taking pleasure with the whole entrepreneurial kind of side of thing i, I see it also as a little adventure and yeah in the last two years between the drones and and yeah the beer the reservo i've i've learned a ton and and it's kind of cool because it's something that was quite far away from what I was doing. So you have, you've got the bear, you've got Rosero. What, what's the what's the bear called? Uh, White Frontier. So you have White Frontier, you have Rosero, you have Timeline. Yeah, well, Timeline is not really a business. Timeline has always been like a, a kind of, a, uh, how do you say? Collective. Yeah, collective, exactly. Uh, and yeah, like the, 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 the good thing was like, yeah, we're working well together. And the, the idea was to bring job to everyone, so uh, to the whole film crew. But for me, it's always been kind of to have the, the access to, to a team around me and to build projects together and stuff. And Yeah. yeah. And but then... It, but the uh, yeah, there's never been the goal for me to make it like a successful uh, video production. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it was a way of like combining some of the other things you yeah, want to do. Like kind of an ex like a tool of expression, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Controlling the creative mm -hmm. output that you have, um, and then the drones as well. Are you still in involved in that? Yeah, I'm involved in the drones, although we've shifted completely focus, so um, it doesn't require any of my time anymore because now it's become more industrial because the the business model was not working with a consumer drone. It's a shame because we reached quite a good level. Like the software was just incredible, but the hardware was just too expensive and too demanding to develop. And okay. we could just not compete with uh, those huge Chinese companies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now it's like we've got, it's doing like kind of inventory in warehouses. So we used everything we developed and put it in there. And so it goes and it scans all the warehouse and tells you as soon as there is any defect or anything sends a photo to the guys and comes back and recharges it's, it's kind of cool it's super interesting but yeah now i'm just um 
yeah, just a shareholder really now. Right. So, yeah. Not as hands-on as yeah. originally. Yeah, yeah. So the main things you're working on are re zero. Yeah. Um, so when you approach one of these projects, do you, are you somebody that just has an idea and then thinks, okay, how can I accomplish that? Yeah. Um, um, no, I think that this one, the Rezero, it came from, um, uh, yeah, from, so from my partner, Dimitri, who came to see me one time with this idea of doing uh, like the, the bindings that released like in, into an avalanche to like increase your flotation. Yeah. Well, and maybe was, if you could explain the concept, that'd be, that'd be good. Yeah. So the concept is basically, you know, the fact that in an avalanche, you're getting dra um, dragged to the bottom with your, uh, with your board or your skis. So basically your board takes three tons of pressure down uh, and your skis is about two tons. So he basically had a friend who died in an avalanche uh, like with a snowboard and, and who could not float enough okay. even though he had an airbag. So he was trying to Despite find a way. Despite all the precautions that yeah, everybody exactly. wears, yeah. So he was trying to find a way to kind of uh, uh, unleash this like either by creating a bigger, uh, bigger airbag or another solution was to release the bindings and it's actually a super good concept and stuff but straight away to me it was too much of a niche to being uh, uh, like mass market a, yeah, yeah. A, a business thing even a feasible thing like because yeah for me the idea was to bring something but to be honest it was even too specific even for me to use every day okay no one to Which use and etc so yeah so kind of tough but I'm really happy to have a bit worked on the concept and stuff, but to me, he had already this idea of um, of the the emergency signal, so which is the Rezero, which is and the whistle. Yeah, the whistle, yeah. which yeah. has been to me really bringing something because so many times in the mountains, uh, you know, I've been finding myself in some zones with no communication. Yeah, and you know that if anything happens, you're yeah. There's no way you can call help, and it could be such a small thing where you just like hit your head a little bit or something, and and, and yeah, or twist your ankle, and you're gonna have to sleep outside or whatever. Yeah, well, there's so many reasons. To, yeah, yeah. To get lost or get injured or uh, yeah, and not being able to call for help. So this um, device is basically something that you can either use on its own or link to your ABS, uh, and you can use it in any sport. It could be backcountry snowboarding or, or it could be kiteboarding in the ocean you know if you lose your board and you're okay, so like far multi, out in the sea multi-sport yeah, yeah. functionality if you like yeah anytime you're in the outdoors really and that you may potentially like lose yourself or require help um, and yeah this is a way to basically uh, facilitate uh, the alert signal so you don't need to call the rest like take your phone out yeah put it on your head if it has, still has battery call for the rescue if you know the number yeah yeah uh, being able to explain them where you are who you are uh, what happened yeah it does all that what for you basically you do. yeah exactly yeah so it is genuinely innovative then because I haven't seen anything like that I mean obviously this is the work that you've been doing right mm -hmm. identifying that there is this niche in the market well yeah exactly and to me it it, uh, it always comes from a need because um you know, I'm not interested in like trying to find a niche in anything. To me, I'm like I think it made sense. It makes sense to bring that uh, to the market because it solves a problem for people and and for me first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So what kind of role do you normally take in these projects? If you if you take this or the brewery, for example, like yeah. are you do you take the creative role? Are you coming up with the business plan? Like how how does it generally no, work? No, I'm actually like not. Uh, I, I'm just basically. Um, well, I don't I don't really have a full role. Basically, I just yeah. like give ideas, and I used kind of my image and stuff to kind of leverage what I can. Yeah. To make partnerships and things like this, I'm involved in really small specific missions here and there. Yeah. And I kind of give guidelines and. And like my opinion on all the ev evolutions that we take. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of a fun, fun part of the job because I don't have the time to actually run it, uh, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and to me, it's kind of a great opportunity to be in the entrepreneurial um, experience, but still being able to keep my lifestyle. Yeah. Because to me, this is the most important. Yeah. So and that'll stay the same, presumably. Yeah. It's it's my yeah. My my goal in life has always been to being able to have the freedom to uh, ride and like be in the nature, yeah, and do projects that inspire you. Yeah, so I'm lucky enough to being able to do it. Well, this might be a good point to explore your early career a little bit because I'm I know the timeline as I mentioned earlier, but I don't I don't know too much about how you grew up in the mountains and 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 your you know when you first started. So how did that all happen? Well, I grew up in in a in a small ski resort, so that actually in the Pyrenees, right? Yeah, in the Pyrenees in Saint Larry, and um, yeah, we were just five children, five brothers and sisters, and uh, yeah, all we did was going skiing and stuff. So we were like every kid in a ski resort. Uh, we were in ski club, yeah, doing a bit of ski racing, and got really bored of it after okay. a while. <laughs> right. Uh, so you, from a young age, you were racing on skis. Yeah, yeah, from the age of six until i was 13. okay and um yeah when i was 13 i yeah discovered snowboarding and i suddenly discovered that yeah riding powder making big jumps going crazy and i got lucky because we had such a nice group uh over there like we had like kind of a guy that took us under his shoulder and who taught us like amazing values which i carry on today his name was jean michel uh, Le Floc, who is uh, yeah, quite a crazy character. Okay, and, and, and like a local in San Larry. Yeah, yeah, local, yeah, ski instructor, yeah. He was good snowboarder, but nothing crazy, but he just like yeah. Yeah, took us, like taught us snowboarding in super crazy way, like learning to turn in moga fields and then going for some huge backflips in, in, <laughs> in some other areas and partying really hard. Right. But at the same time, working really hard. Yeah. It's a good role model. Yeah, exactly. So he really taught me to, you know, enjoy what I do and like do things with passion and dedication and, you know, to not necessarily try to just follow the rules and look at others do, but do yeah. like, you know, as it came. And yeah, still today, this is clearly it has shaped me a lot. Yeah. yeah. And you were competing in border cross in, in the early part of your career. Yeah, I was competing in border cross until... Yeah, until 2002, three. Yeah, until 2003, full on, and then uh, I gradually dropped it, and I came back for the Olympics. Um, yeah, it was really, really good base for what I've done in free riding. Yeah, of course, technique. Yeah, exactly, technique, and um, that's something that, unfortunately, in snowboarding, you know, has been left out, 
And so a lot of the young riders don't have that part. So they're super technical in jumps, but they don't have that good turn. The foundation. Yeah, exactly, which allows you to ride not only when it's powder, but also in every conditions, be flexible, be more sure. So then therefore being able to ride faster. And, and So yeah. why, why do you think that is? I think it's just uh, the way that snowboarding is uh, the way that snowboarding is being kind of yeah like taught and and built up and and you know the way there's been communication around well the way it's been presented presented by media and things yeah. like this I, I I don't know I don't blame it but uh, but I just see the result yeah yeah do you think it's changing at all now I don't think it is changing. No, think, yeah. you still think the focus is on the same areas. Um, yeah, I think it would be even worse because I think all these things like uh, yeah, Alpine back in the days uh, or border cross, they're kind of uh, like close to be dying. So yeah, of course. So I think like a lot less kids now have been inspired to to do those kind of things, and yeah, and you can be the best, best, best snowboarder. Um, yeah, you know like. For example, I see my brother. I'm trying to tell him sometimes, hey, like, so Victor. Uh, yeah, I would love to, like, him to work on his turns because I'm like, ah, come on, you can't, you can't make a turn, like, yeah. But whatever, he does amazing things, and they all do amazing things. Yeah. But in power, yeah. Well, you can see the people that have the foundation. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. you can see. Oh, Jeremy Jones. Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, and I was talking to Tom Burt. Yeah. You know, he was said the same thing you know mm -hmm. technique for him was always the most important thing especially mm -hmm. filming because it meant that he could make bad snow look good exactly yeah and yeah. didn't have to wait for like the perfect conditions mm -hmm. to to ride where he wanted to ride basically yeah so you competed to a really high level you were world champion right yeah four times four yeah. times mm -hmm. yeah just the four <laughs> <laughs> and you competed in the olympics do you what are the best things you remember about those days well, the best time in those days was um, when it was like, you know, there was a golden era for uh, border cross. It was in, yeah, like end of 90s, beginning of 2000s. And it was the ISF and it was a huge tour. Yeah. You know, it was not driven by nations, you know, by national teams. Yeah. It was just, uh, yeah, like teams of brands, like, you know, from different countries having a great time, like with courses being like crazier and crazier and... And there was a really good momentum around it. That's when Sean Palmer was around. Yeah, you know, like he had was, characters uh, as well. Yeah, exactly. Big personalities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, unfortunately, I've seen the switch when the FIS showed up. Right. And yeah, put all those kids into little, uh, like closed groups. Yeah. And where they completely took away their self, uh, well, their personality and their self development. And today. Phew, so sad to see where it's gone <laughs> and was this the point that you thought okay i'm gonna do something different mm, no i think to me free riding was always the end goal yeah like yeah yeah f since the very very beginning i could always see the mountains in the background and i was always dreaming to go there and in a way all the techniques i could learn they were in a way you know with uh, having in the back of my head that it would be for up there <laughs> yeah so, and you began competing on the Freeride World Tour around this time, right? Yeah, I did my first time the Verbi Extreme, just like this, because, yeah, Nicolas 
uh, told me, oh, if you want, you could try. Yeah. Uh, the extreme. That was quite a bit of a, a rough start. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like showing up Straight up in. there, like your first ever freeride competition. But yeah, went for it, had a huge crash. <laughs> right. So what year was this? No, that was 2002. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I did every year. So the the Verbi Extreme and then there was the Big Mountain Pro. Yeah. And there was uh, yeah, a few comps here and there. But yeah, it was never like really the super focus to just be competing. And yeah. Yeah. And there was not even an idea of being becoming world champion or anything. But it's just, uh, you know, I was shooting photos a lot when I was, uh, you know, from from the 90s, from probably 96, 97, from my very beginnings. And like, filming as well? No, filming came later, because filming felt always too too complicated, I remember, yeah. at the beginning. And, and there was, you know, for sponsors back in the days, it used to be super important to be in the magazines. And and like, yeah, in, in a way to get the money to pay filmers and things like this just seemed uh, completely inaccessible back then. And I remember, yeah, one day in 2002 or three, actually, but yeah, at that time, more or less, I went to Mitch Toller. Yeah, I know Mitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Austrian. Yeah, yeah and yeah. like he had come from border cross like through those years and then he disappeared at some point. And then, uh, yeah, I went to see him in Innsbruck in his house and he, I remember him showing me a magazine with a huge uh, face in Alaska. And like, yeah, that was him. And I was like, but you're able to do that. <laughs> Sponsors right. pay for you to <laughs> go and do that. And yeah, it really clicked in my head. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did you make like, you made that happen after actually that? Actually, it's possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. So how did you how did you make that a reality? Well, then uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I started to uh, to go filming. I started a lot filming with uh, uh, the Nuit de la Glisse, which was very handy because I used to live in Chamonix. And uh, no, actually, yeah, no, sorry, I'll go back. Actually, I moved to Chamonix the year before because I wanted to learn mountaineering and stuff. So I was really already into that process. And when I got there, yeah, I got the possibility to go and film uh, for the Nuit de la Glisse, which was uh, super handy because, you know, I had, you know, like days of helis in a row, like all the time. As soon as it would be good, we would just yeah. go boom on the Swiss side, go and fly. And um, yeah, I would not need to run all the logistics and the budgets and stuff like this because okay. I didn't have, yeah the experience and, and probably the backup from sponsors back then. But um, yeah, I learned a lot through that period. And what kind of, so you said you went to learn mountaineering. So what did you do, like a guiding course or were you just trying to be, be more in the mountains and just do more and more yeah, it's exploration just, out there? Yeah, it's like I, I had started climbing since quite a few years. So I was doing more and more like, uh, you know, like, long long route climbing and, yeah. and and stuff like this and yeah and i started to do mountaineering as well yeah uh yeah and you know it's just being in chamonix you you live in there so people yeah. have a way different mindset of mountaineering than they have anywhere else yeah so being up there and just riding with the boys uh yeah just like learning how to yeah use ice axes ice crews crampons everything and, and just becoming yeah, like, you know, broadening the range of what you could do in the mountains. Really. Yeah, the skills yeah. that you yeah. that you were developing. Yeah. So tell me about the first Alaska trip then. What do you remember about that? Huh. Yeah, so first Alaska trip was with Mitch and it was, uh, yeah, probably in 2002. So so 
I must have met him before actually. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't have all the timing rights, but but uh, yeah, I was with him and Flo early in in, in Cordova, and uh, yeah, I discovered a bit all the kind of <laughs> business around helicopter and stuff like this. And yeah, how, <laughs> and how a bit frustrating it was sometimes, and we didn't have amazing conditions and. And uh, basically, we yeah we flew for a few days, but didn't do anything crazy at all. But then <clears throat> there was this one peak which had good snow only in this area, which was close to town, but which was forbidden for helis. So we hiked that uh, like from the town, so like a huge uh, like a huge hike. Yeah. For yeah, like five six hours, arrived at the top, and I dropped into the first kind of spiny line ever, like for me. And uh, made two turns, caught a rock, front flipped, boom, got taken by the slough over all the cliffs below me. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Quite an intro. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Alaska. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's what I remember about it. I remember shooting guns as well. <laughs> shooting guns while you're in America. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You got to do that. But what, what, what do you mean about being the, the business of helicopters? Like that comment you made earlier. That's just. Uh, you know, they just take you for a big wallet when you can show up in Alaska. And I've always right. hated that. And I remember actually there arriving and the first thing they said before saying hello was like, give us your credit card. Okay. <laughs> like, I was like, God, come on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So generally you need a lot of money to yeah. make a success of, yeah, yeah. of like having an Alaskan career almost if yeah, you're yeah. a snowboarder. Yeah. And they always, you know... <laughs> Yeah, you don't need to count money because if you do, you're going to get super frustrated because, yeah, they have policies that are very unique to the place where you need to put money down and they never reimburse you and all stuff like this. But Right. Yeah, it can be magical, but yeah, you need Sounds to have like a bit of margin on the money side. And yeah. a lot of politics. Yeah, can be, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then I've gone later in places where it was definitely not like this and yeah. where they were super helpful and things. Yeah. But, so at what point did you start broadening your horizons and start looking at more obscure places? Because obviously some of the projects you've done have been taking you to like literally the ends of the earth. I mean, you've been to Antarctica, mm. you've been up to Svalbard. When when did you start thinking along those lines? Well, I think after quite a few years of, you know, going, for example, to Haines uh, and then going, yeah, and filming here in Switzerland, you know, you, you actually realize that all these heli zones, you know, are quite limited in a way and that you're ending up doing the same thing over and over. And and even if you find like new mountains, you're kind of have always looking for a line to try to make a sicker line, like with more speed, more air, whatever, more style. And then I, I don't know, after a while I had the feeling that it was, you know, <laughs> that I was doing the same. Groundhog Day. Yes. And then uh, I thought that Actually, the idea of going to a place like Antarctica yeah. would be kind of a really a, uh, like, yes, like a way to discover sailing, to discover, yeah, like crazy place. and To bring to bring more to it almost, to bring new experiences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, to use snowboarding to discover, yeah, new, new things. And, uh, and also at the same time, um, you know, I, 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 I found out that I could leave my snowboarding in a different way as well. Yeah. Okay. So mm. how how did that look? How did it look? No, so we went to the Falklands and we got on a small sailing boat. Yeah. 
and we crossed the Drake Passage, which is the worst crossing in the world. Yeah, right, right across the Southern Ocean, right? Yeah, and we had uh, like 10 meters waves and uh, 100 k's of wind for five days. And I was just basically, I'm really, really seasick. <laughs> right. <laughs> for five days, I was just puking, not able to move. And um, yeah, trying to fight for my life. <laughs> right. James yeah, it was really, 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 really tough. Yeah. But uh, then we arrived there and it's basically, I think, yeah, by far the nicest place I've been. Really? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, this year I got given the opportunity to go back there and I actually said yes. Yeah, yeah, so I'm kind of, you know, it's that one place in the world where it's actually, um, yeah, worthwhile suffering right. for... 10 days and what, what five days and five days yeah what's the snowboarding like the snowboarding was um actually pretty amazing so it was this snow which is really loaded with uh, humidity because it's like right above the ocean and uh it's kind of wet powder in a way so it's powder which is loaded with a lot of uh, moisture and which also sometimes becomes um, like a bit of spring snow so it's super easy to climb into it it sticks to everything, so you have the the possibility of riding, you know, way steeper faces than normal, even in Alaska. Okay. And um, yeah, I think I've pretty much ridden the steepest run uh, I've ever done. Right. And like to me, the atmosphere is uh, really the magical part because, you know, there's really a special blue light kind of, you know, that's typical from down there. There is so much ice everywhere you know, that just dives into the ocean. Yeah. Like anywhere, you're just looking at the coastlines with these fractures of ice of like 50 to 100 meters, uh, you know, because, yeah, it's just covered with ice everywhere and you've got this peak sticking out with a lot of snow on it and, and you're surrounded by penguins, by whales, by seals all yeah. the time. It's just uh, crazy. So what about Svalbard then? Because that was another huge project yeah Svalbard was really cool but the point in Svalbard was to you know once again once again try to find a different approach in a way to experience a different approach and um, actually Svalbard was kind of a, a bit of a test to see if that approach would work so I had been um, you know trying to find ways uh, back in the days to being able to film from the air yeah uh, in an expedition without, you know, where, in places where you don't have helis. And um, basically, that's why I had gone to, you know, Alaska on huge trips, for example, with Jeremy. And I was all super frustrated coming back, seeing the film and watching at the footage just being filmed from a Barbie angle. Yeah. And, you know, it was like some of the craziest uh, lines that I'd written and because of that, you had no dimension, and compared to any other films uh, shot by helicopters, it was always uh, looking really, yeah, so-so. And back in the days, there was no drones, so I started to get into a paramotor to, you know, one summer just to see how it worked. And so I kind of did my license. I thought, oh, so can you, that would if, be if, a fun If people don't know what that is, try. like, so how would you describe that? So, you know, a paraglider, like a normal paraglider, and yeah. it's the one with the fan in the back. Yeah. yeah. So you just learn to fly and yeah. how is that? Is that hard, challenging? Or? Yeah, I had done like a tiny course uh, for normal paragliding and then uh, like, yeah, 15 years before. Yeah. I'd never flown since, but then I 
uh, you know, a friend of mine who's got a school, he took me a bit for a few days. And yeah. and then I started flying and flying a bit uh, through that summer. And then I went to do the course with a fan. <laughs> okay. And I found it super stable and super maneuverable and, and yeah. very practical. And yeah, and I realized straight away that for filming, it would be a really cool tool. So you, did you... you test it before Svalbard were you using it um, on projects in Europe for example I tested it in the mountains but uh yeah it was always kind of a tool and it was never uh actually something that we showed and I thought that this was kind of really cool concept in a way like yeah the fact that we'd bring this thing out there in really crazy places yeah and um bit of a different matter though to then take that to Svalbard yeah exactly and in Svalbard basically you know, the goal was not just to use it to film. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not like in Svalbard. It was not just about filming. It was about you know trying to use that to being able to scope, and to gain time instead of you know just being sat down at a valley and and work on a radius around you of what you can see basically. So for exploration as well. Yeah, I wanted to being able to go really far up above everything and you know find the perfect zone and things yeah and uh, on top of that so we had another idea which was to we had a giant cable uh you know to do like kind of towing yeah uh, with a paraglide and you know to lift yourself yeah, like up the glide, two like kilometers the, in the air like the glider principle yeah exactly yeah when because they work on winches don't they yeah so there's a similar principle to that yeah and, uh, and and like the idea was to then let the cable a cable once you'd be above the peaks, okay, and then go into and crash into a line, right? Pack the chute, throw it. Uh, to this the is bottom. what you did. No, we tried to do it, but then the wind in the spot that we were was always in the wrong way. Okay, and um, and there was a guy with us who was a bit in charge of that, and like he, he had a school for paragliding and stuff. He was a pro before, but he completely freaked out. Uh, you know, by the elements, like from being out there so far away from everything. Because you were a long way out, right? With the call, yeah, yeah. We were like, uh, yeah, a few hundred k's. Yeah, uh, like in like the wild. ten hour snowmobile ride in. Yeah, and and it was like really cold. Well, it's already really cold there, but it was a really really cold week. And it was like minus thirty or something. Yeah, and it went through his head, and he was not able to fly once. So right, long way like, from uh, hospital as yeah. well. So we ditched that. And we used a bit the power motors to go around, but we actually had such a nice location that we actually didn't need them that much for exploration. And also, like towards the end of the trip, we tested uh, the fact of just of jumping from them. So we tested on the flat. Okay. And also, same there, like the peaks are really sharp and really rocky, so that was not the place. But we were like, okay, boom. The next step is to go to Alaska and make a camp. And then uh, use those paramotors, those tandems, to go up the lines and jump into the lines. And um, yeah. how did it work? And it worked out really good. Um, it was a lot of logistics. It was, you know, not as simple, as, uh, not as simple as you could imagine. Because flying uh, paragliders in the mountains, you need to have the exact right wind. Yeah, dangerous. And especially, game. yeah, when you fly close to the ridges. Yeah. You know, a lot of stuff can happen with, um, how do you say, the rotor, rotors? Or, yeah, 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 yeah. With the air spinning behind the ridge. And uh, yeah, so it took us quite a few days be before we could start flying and things. But then once we enlisted it, we did the first jumps. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because we had been touring um, like the first few days 
around, you know, to kind of get all the shots and, and you know, also let the pilot feel comfortable with the air because he was very nervous at the beginning. And, uh, so, you know, so we would take us, we would wake up, yeah, like at four o'clock in the morning, you know, hike for like four or five hours to get to, to the lines, to the first lines next to our camp. And then suddenly, boom, we could just take off. Right. And, uh, yeah, be up there in 10 minutes. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, and I'll I, put, I'll put a link to, to the projects because obviously yeah. they're filmed, they're online. So people who might not have seen it and also Ed Lee did a, a ski Sunday. Mm-hmm little piece didn't he where he was flown around so people can I'll, I'll put all that up so people can see it and understand it because yeah amazing concepts have never been done before obviously yeah and it's not one concept that is going to change the sport because it's uh, a bit of a crazy idea but it's yeah to me like you know that angle once again was a great reason just to see yeah that trip not as another alaska trip and i really loved it to try yeah. and do it in a different way yeah yeah, yeah which you did yeah, yeah. So what's um, what's next on the travel horizon then? So on the travel horizon, I'm going to go puking on a boat again. <laughs> Back to Antarctica? No, I'm going to Kamchatka. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to be sailing down for six weeks all the way to Japan. And so there are some volcanoes down there that stick out from the sea. Oh, it's the island range, isn't it? Yeah, the Kuril Islands, okay. they call. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to go throughout all the, the ranges of... Uh, of islands and yeah you're making a film uh well not really well i'm gonna make some diy episodes yeah yeah so um, your latest project obviously yeah kind yeah. of self-filmed without a big crew right you know more uh, it's more tr- an ex- true true to yeah exploration yeah true to exploration exactly uh but at the same time yeah uh we'll do also a bit of a documentary but yeah yeah for french tv but let's see what happens there you know but who's on that trip uh, so there's another skier, he's called Adrian Coyier, a French guy, really nice, who's been on the tour for quite a while. And um, and then basically the project is from uh, Erwanerland, so the project is called My My One, and he basically invited us to come and join him. And he's done that actually all the way, because he started from France, he went to Iceland, to Greenland, and then over the Northwest Passage to Alaska, and then last year he traversed to Kamchatka. Okay. So he left the boat there for the winter. And then now uh, we're going to pick it up again and just uh, go to Japan. And, and then he'll carry on actually way, you know, for months and months all around the world. Right. So it's a super nice opportunity, I think, to, uh, yeah, to being able to, you know, live a trip like this. Real expedition. Yeah, it is a real expedition and it will be very tough. So there is a part of me which is happy to go. There's a part of me which is like, oh, kind of very nervous. Right. <laughs> Especially it, at the boat part of it. Yeah. So, and because I saw the thing you did, uh, Van, Vanuatu. Mm-hmm. So is it a similar idea? You're going to be hiking and. Uh, no, no, no. But the, um, the volcanoes are going to be covered with snow. Okay, no, right. No, no, so it's, it's like snow all the way down to the sea. Right. Brilliant. And it's like amazing, you know, like perfect shaped triangles, you know, that stick out of the sea. And wow. Yeah, we snow all the way down. Brilliant. There's even one that has in the crater a lake with another volcano in the middle of the, the lake. And yeah. Wow. That's actually, I think, the, the most famous one of them. Okay. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah, it should be fun. So how often are you on the road, do you think? Well, this winter I was on the road all the time. Yeah, pretty much. Well, we did so far uh, three trips, three, four trips. Yeah, four trips if you count Vanuatu. 
So we've been going to Japan, been going uh, to China, like between North Korea and China. And then we, we've been going also to Canada. And now we're going there. We had a trip next week planned to Norway, but got cancelled. So we're going surfing. Nice. Yes. And surfing's obviously something you've been getting into more and more, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since uh, five years, uh, yeah, since I met my wife, we've just been doing that in the summer. And it's been actually quite good to switch off from the mountains a bit and recharge in the ocean. Yeah. yeah really addicted. Yeah. Where have you been surfing? Uh, we've been surfing in Cabreton, so we've been living down there uh, all summers, all the past five summers, yeah. Nice. Yeah, any plans to take the expedition and the travel approach to surfing? I would love to find a great excuse to surfing. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's in the books, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I've got a few general questions, if that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few that I always ask everybody, but there's a few that I'd be interested in, in speaking to you about. So obviously what you do is very physically demanding, you know, ski mountaineering. Do you, do you just train by doing it or do you actively train when you're not in the mountains? Do you, you know... Do you have any kind of like physical regime that you do? Or mm, No, I wish I did. <laughs> I wish I trained because, yeah, for sure you really need it. And when you're not trained in the mountains, it's very painful. Yeah. And I must say that I'm definitely not as uh, much in shape as uh, people might think because actually of spending my time between planes and things like this and with all the projects I'm running and things, uh, you know, I, I actually... Yeah, I'm not the kind of guy that will go up every day and be out there every day. So I have a good good fitness, but I'm definitely not a, a machine. Okay. Yeah. So that must make it difficult when you're on these... It is make it difficult always, but after two, three days, I can just hike anything. Yeah. But yeah. Always I have a, a little phase of adaptation, I would say, when I go on to a big trip. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Makes sense. Well, obviously, there's a lot of experience that you're bringing to it as well. Yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> And who um who are you, you but, mentioned an influence earlier from your from when you were younger. So who do you have any influences today from people mm, that you that you climb with or ride with or ski with? No, well, not really to be honest, but um it depends for what uh yeah, for example for all the steep skiing uh stuff and things for really steep runs in Sham, there's these two guys that yeah, I find quite inspiring. Uh it's Alex Pitan and Tony Lamish. I did two episodes with them last year and uh yeah, they're just uh, yeah in the steep all the time, and they get it so dialed, and they have such uh, they know all the little techniques for anything, for being completely hundred percent independent and mobile into the the steepest environment. So every time you know they're like, I call them, <laughs> what's what's on the plan, and they they just take me uh, into crazy places, and it's really great to go with them because you know they're you know since they are there all the time they know the conditions perfectly and um, you know they know exactly the gear you need what you need the passages and stuff they've been studying everything and that's something uh, you know you cannot do unless you spend a lot of time there so it's super nice to go and go with them always yeah. an adventure yeah. yeah and what um what ambitions do you have left in snowboarding um i think the ambitions in snowboarding are more to share what I've done rather than create new stuff. So I think, uh, you know, last year I've been more like kind of trying to inspire to go out there and to see the world in a different way and try to 
you know, have the, you know, like the guts and the motivation to, to go out there and, and, you know, like find your own style, find your own exploration, find your own challenges, whatever. And I think that's more that part that I'm trying to push because, you know, yeah, I was explaining before, if I keep on pushing free riding uh, in terms of, um, yeah, like speed and, yeah. Progression. Yeah, progression. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to kill myself and I I don't want that. (laughs) No one wants that, Xavier. Yeah. Um, Okay. So if you had one last day snowboarding, where would you go? Hmm. <laughs> anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. <laughs> it depends on the conditions always. That's um yeah, it's always a tough question. Let's it say depends. you could have perfect conditions then. Perfect conditions, where would I go? Um I think probably a huge run in Sham. Yeah, with perfect conditions. Yeah. Yeah. I would do that. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Like I love steep, you know, there's something in steepness that makes that makes snowboarding really fun. Yeah. What are your favorite runs up there? I don't know. To me, I think the the north face of the Agree is uh, is an incredible location, like super intimidating, and yeah, with very <laughs> tricky conditions sometimes. Well but, mixed, right? But yeah, it's, it's a place mixed. that I kind of uh, take with a lot of respect. There's an mm. episode of the DIY right where you do the Mallory, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll put a link to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks pretty pretty committing let's put it that way (laughs) yeah yeah um what would you say you're most proud of through your career uh what am i most proud of i don't know i think uh what i'm most proud of is like that confidence i could have a few years back when i was just like charging and charging and and basically uh, i think i've been proud to you know not look too much what other guys were doing but to just try to follow my instinct and and push snowboarding in my own way i think yeah Yeah, well that's something that's really clear you've always just made decisions based upon the way that you want to do things right Mm -hmm. and maybe not follow the the normal path yeah and i think i'm very happy i did that because it, it, it inspired me as well and yeah and it's i think super nice to have the possibility in life to to inspire people and I think yeah like when I released the first films I remember like how nice it felt to to see people that were not in snowboarding at all have the little spark in their eyes and being like wow this is amazing and yeah that, that has been really a great 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 reward from what I've done yeah brilliant well Xavier that's been uh, that's been great thanks very much thanks for coming on the show thanks Matt <laughs> So there you go. That was Xavier Delarue. And uh, as I say, I felt really privileged, to be honest, that um, he was so welcoming. And uh, the whole the whole crew in Verbier, to be honest, his, his family and everybody that I met there was super welcoming to me and really helped me out, went, went out of their way to help me organize this interview and, and, and a few of the bits that I did over there. So to everybody that I met over there, thank you so much for that. I mean, it was really, really much appreciated, especially Beanie Delarue. Thank you so much. But yeah, what a what a great chat eh? and what an interesting character. And what I really liked about that conversation was how open he was about the fact that he's grappling with what to do now that he's reaching the end of his career. I mean, what's the line that he says? I'm slowly accepting the fact that I'm getting older and I don't need to push things so hard anymore. For a man who spent his entire life 
doing just that, pushing things. I think it came across that that was, you know, it's a new chapter for him. But being the thinker that he is, um, I've got no doubt that he'll uh, go on to yet more great things as he's done throughout his whole career. So thank you, Xavier. Thanks for being so open and for getting into the spirit of the Looking Sideways podcast. Very much appreciated. So there you go. That was episode six of the Looking Sideways podcast. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you know what I'm going to say. Please help me spread the word. Head over to www.wearelookingsideways.com. You'll find the back catalogue. You'll find the Sasha Ham one, the Ed Lee one, which I think have been the most popular one so far. You'll find Orlando von Eisendale. You'll find Andrew Cotton. You'll find the social handles. You'll find the iTunes links. You can leave me a review on iTunes. It all really helps. It all helps spread the word and hopefully it'll enable me to keep on making more of these shows. So uh, until the next episode, thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Thank you.